It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hi, listening friends. Welcome to Amazing Facts Bible Answers Live. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? Back in 1794, at the request of Congress, engraver Robert Scott began preparing designs for the United States' first silver dollar. It portrayed liberty as the head of a woman with free-flowing hair, and on the back was a small eagle on a rock surrounded by a wreath. When the first die was complete, they stamped a few copper sample coins as prototypes to examine their work. They decided to add a circle of stars around the head and a few other artistic changes so those first copper sample coins were tossed aside. Eighty-two years later, someone excavated one of those first test coins from the site of the Philadelphia Mint. Even though it was beaten and a little corroded, they recognized its historic value and held on to it. In the following years, that rare copper coin changed hands among collectors seven times. Then in April 2021, It sold in an auction for a whopping $840,000, over twice the estimated amount. Talk about inflation. Can you imagine that, Pastor Ross? It wasn't even a real silver dollar. It was a copper sample of a silver dollar, but it was our first currency. You have a copper coin selling for more than $800,000. Just think of the value of that. Obviously, the coin was far more value than the substance that it was made out of. Yeah, it's like the weight of three pennies was I in know. there. <laughs> and they, they got it. Three quarters of a million dollars for the coin. Yeah. Well, you know, Pastor, I, just listening to that fact reminds me that here you have a coin that is more valuable than obviously the materials that it's made from. And you look at the gospel account, here you have God giving his son Jesus to purchase us, to buy us back, to redeem us. And what is our value? Yeah, And yet he felt that we were so valuable that it was willing to give his son. So great. You know, they say that uh, if you want to know the value of something, it's what someone will pay. That's right. And so our value is estimated by what the father was willing to pay. It reminds me of a parable that you find in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he has found one of great price, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. And the Lord is saying that, uh, of course, we're of great value in that he gave his life for us, but the, the gospel, the plan of salvation, is worth more than anything in this world. We need to be willing to sell everything, so to speak, to get a hold of that uh, eternal life that Jesus offers. You know, Pastor Doug, we got a book that talks about God's wonderful grace, and it's mm-hmm. called The Riches of His Grace. And it talks about God's love. And uh, yeah, it's beyond, it's beyond understanding or comprehension that God would love us, just mere mortals, mm-hmm. to the point of being willing to give His Son so that we could live with Him forever. 
It's an incredible story. I mean, it's true. It's a true story, but mm -hmm. it's an incredible story. Of course, Riches of His Grace is our free offer for today. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. All you have to do is call the number. It's on the screen, 800-835-6747. You're going to ask for the book. It's called Riches of His Grace. We'll be happy to send that to anyone in North America. Now, I know, Pastor Doug, we've got friends who are listening outside of North America. If you'd like to read the book, just go to the Amazing Facts website. Just amazingfacts.org. Mm -hmm. And you'll be able to read the book there online. And it might be a good time for us to welcome those who are joining us on Amazing Facts TV. Also, those who are watching on Good News TV and those who are live streaming across the country. We have folks watching on the YouTube channel, on the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, also the Amazing Facts Facebook page. So if you want to participate and, and see what's happening here in the studio, you can just uh, go to one of those uh, streaming sites and you'll be able to participate. You can type your Bible question right in the comment section if you're on a mm -hmm. Facebook and we'll try to answer as many of these Bible questions. Of course, you can call in with your Bible question and the number to call is 1-800-463-7297. That's 800-463-7297 and that, that'll get your call on the air. Let's start with a word of prayer. Mm -hmm. Dear Father, once again, we are so grateful that we have this time to be able to just open up your word and study the most uh, important book in the world, studying the most wonderful topic in the world, that is your grace. And so we ask your blessing upon this program. Be with those who are listening and watching and guide us, Lord, into a clearer understanding of what the Bible says. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're ready for the phone lines, Pastor Doug. Our first caller that we have is uh, Peyton listening from uh, Virginia. Peyton, welcome to the program. Yes, sir. Um, my question was in regards to Acts um, chapter 20, and it started in verse 7. And uh, I was listening to the radio the other day, and there was a, a pastor who came on, and he was referencing this section of Scripture um, as a reason uh, why that um, we should gather on Sunday, that it put an emphasis on uh, the apostles gathering on Sunday, and that we should too. And uh, with the utmost respect, after reading through it, I, I couldn't really take that away from it. So I was just asking, is this, patch, is, is this passage of Scripture, and I read through the end of the chapter, uh, putting an emphasis on, you know, us gathering on Sunday or the first day of the week, it yeah. says. Um, and if not, is there any other place in the Bible that maybe not calls it the Sabbath day, but has an emphasis on us gathering on the first day of the week? Well, let me read this for our friends that are listening, and this is found in Acts 20, and I'll start with verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, now let's stop right there. People say, there you have it, first day of the week, that's what we typically call Sunday. It's the day that Jesus rose, the disciples came together. And some will argue, well, they came together to break bread. That means that this was a communion service and that it was now the new Sabbath day. Of course, there's nothing in the passage here that tells us those things. That's a tremendous assumption. The word breaking bread, the phrase breaking bread, says the disciples broke bread from house to house daily. So to say that that means it was a new holy day, you can't really support that. It says they broke bread from house to house daily in Acts chapter 2. Now why is this story being told? Let's keep reading. Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, why? Paul ready to depart the next day. He spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So they're gathering the evening of the first day is what we call Saturday night because the days for in the, in the uh, um, Bible, a day begins and ends at sundown. 
And so here you've got Saturday night. They've spent the Sabbath together. They gather together again for a Saturday evening meeting. That's in the Jews' mind. That's the first day of the week. And they're gathering because Paul's leaving the next day. Well, if the next day is Sunday, Holy Day, why would he begin a journey? It's not a day of rest if he does that. He speaks to them and he continues his message till midnight. And there's many upper rooms where they were gathered. And a young boy named Eutychus falls from the window, three stories up. And it looks like he's dead. It says he's taken up dead. Paul goes down, prays over him. He comes back to life. The story is here not to establish a new Sabbath. The story is telling the miracle of Paul resurrecting Eutychus. And so when people say this is evidence that God changed one of the Ten Commandments, that would be a very flimsy support scripture to try and say that because it's not, it's not even telling us that it all began on what we would call Sunday. It starts at Saturday night uh, on the fir first day of the week, begins at sundown. Well, I hope that made sense, Peyton. I appreciate your question. And, you know, the other verse that people typically use is they go to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul said that on the first of the week, they should set aside some special money, talking about at home. So there are no offerings. When he comes, he was taking an offering to Jerusalem. And those are the two principal verses pr people talk about. And they say, this is proof that there was a new Sabbath that was changed. But they can't find a command anywhere. Nope. Not in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. You know, we do have a book. It's called The Last Day of History, and it deals with this passage as well as some others that people mm -hmm. often get confused about. But it's very clear. If you look at what the Bible says, all the way from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, it talks about a day that God has set aside, a day mm -hmm. of worship and gathering, holy convocation is the word that's used. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who asked. Again, just ask for the study guide. It's called The Last Day of History. And the number to call for that is 800-835-6747. It's 800-835-6747. Mm -hmm. Next caller that we have is Lucas listening in Tennessee. Lucas, welcome to the program. So my question pertains to, the, um, to marriage in the Old Testament. Uh, I understand it was very common practice for people to have multiple wives and um, it's been described as um, a time of ignorance that God winked at. Mm -hmm. But I've been studying the Old Testament more lately. I've been reading the book of Joshua and stuff um, for my Old Testament studies class and it, it appears as though God seemed to be in very direct contact with this people during this time. And so my question is, is why didn't God directly let people know that, hey, I don't want you to have multiple wives. I don't want you to have concubines um, in, instead of just winking over it. Yeah, well, and you could also add to that, and I'm not trying to complicate the question. It's pretty clear that they had slaves and, uh, you know, I, I don't believe the Lord supports slavery, but slavery was ubiquitous in Bible times, you know, just even all the way through the time of Christ. They had slaves all over the Roman Empire. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the times were so barbaric that God kind of gave them the light they could handle. One more thing to consider. They actually did have a Jewish law that if a man's brother got married and before they could have children, if he died, he was to take his brother's wife into his family and treat her like a second wife. Now, the reason for that was um, a lot of men died out in battle 
you can read a passage in Isaiah chapter uh, 7, no, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1, and it says, In that day seven women will take hold of one man, saying, We'll eat our own bread, we'll wear our own apparel, only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Because so many men had died off in battle that there were seven women for every man. They've got this problem in China right now where so many uh, girls, it's actually the opposite, so many girls were aborted when they had um, optional, or, you know, selective abortions that they got like, uh, you know, three quarters more men than they do women. Um, so to make sure that these women, they had no social security, that they were not left destitute and widows with no children, he would take them into his home and raise up children to him. Of course, you know, Jacob did that when he married Rachel and Leah. It always brought heartache in the family. And if you want to know what God's original plan was, you go to the Garden of Eden. God made one woman for Adam and um, one man for Eve. And that's God's plan. And you see it reproduced in the New Testament church. There's no example of people having more than one wife at a time in the Jewish community in Christ's time. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Lucas. Next caller that we have is Jess listening from um, Washington. Jess, welcome to the program. Yeah, um, I was just curious. I was studying the children of Israel being in Egypt for 400 years, and I happened to decide I'm going to find out how many days they were there. So I added up 360 times 400, and I came up with 144,000. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I was thinking maybe that was a key or uh, one of the things that could be pointing to who the 144,000 are. It's those that would um, go through the seven last plagues, of course, unscathed, because they did come out after seven last plagues. The first three affected them. You know, I just, I love doing this program because I just learned something from you. I've never so thought to I. add that up. <laughs> That's, That's great. very interesting that those uh, 400 times 360 is 100, is that right? 144,000. That, right? that would make sense. We're trusting your math. Sense. I've added it up about 30 times to make sure. Yeah. I okay, believe you. I'm doing it in my head right now, and it seems like it would work. You know, the interesting thing about that is, uh, Pastor Doug, you've got, you've got those in Egypt. They go through the plagues. And then they are delivered and taken to the promised land. At the end of time, now in Revelation... They follow the law. Yeah, they keep yeah. the law of God. You've got 144,000 who... Because everywhere they went, they had to follow after the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, they followed the Ark. And they went through the sanctuary services. They lived through that. Well, I'm going to add that to my notes in my sermon on the 144,000. <laughs> I'd never, I'd never done that before. That, that's wonderful. Now, uh, you, by the way, for our friends that are listening, the verse where it says that the children of Israel would be 400 years is in Genesis chapter uh, 15, verse. Is it verse uh, 13? Yeah, 400 years. Yeah. So, for those who are wondering where that comes from, and I should add that uh, that time begins while Abraham is still alive. The time does not begin when Jacob goes down. They're only physically in Egypt for about 200 years. Uh, when you start adding up the genealogies, it's talking about when the persecution of Ishmael against Isaac began. Uh, it's 400 years until the Exodus. Maybe just one more thing to add. If uh, you want to do the math and you take the 400 years times the number of days, Remember, the Hebrew year has 360 days, not right. 365. The lunar calendar, they did not use 365. And that's good. Very, well, very good, Jess. I sure appreciate that. That's fascinating. Yeah, a great point. Add that note to my study. 
Well, thank you, Jason. Next caller that we have is Julian listening from Maryland. Julian, welcome to the program. Hello, pastors. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you. Hey, so I actually have two questions. Is that okay? Well, let's take them one at a time and see how long it takes. Okay. So I read that God speaks to prophets in three different ways, through visions, dreams, or face-to-face. When it says face-to-face, is it literally face-to-face, like with God being in your face? God the Son has appeared to prophets face-to-face. Of course, you know, Jesus appeared to Paul. No man hath seen the Father. And I'm trying to remember the passage. I think John uh, wrote that. No man hath seen the Father. So God the Father, no man has seen face-to-face. Even Moses, when God said, I'll show you my glory, he says, no man can look at my face and live, so I'll put you in a cleft of a rock, I'll pass by, you'll see my glory from behind. Um, so when it says they saw God, it's talking about God the Son. That's uh, John chapter 1, verse 18. Thank you. Now, one prophet that does come to mind is Moses. God said, talking about Moses, he says, I'll communicate to the prophets through dreams or a vision, but my servant Moses, I speak to him face to face. And of course, this is Christ communicating with Moses. Uh, there's Abraham. not too many, yeah, and Abraham, yeah, mm-hmm. God spoke to Abraham. There's not too many prophets, even prophets in the Bible, where God spoke face to face. We have a few examples. Mm-hmm. Most of them were through dreams and visions. Right. We believe that was uh, the Lord that spoke to uh, Joshua as the commander. Yeah, the, the angel Lord's of the Lord. Yeah. Take your shoes off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I uh, hope that helps a little bit, Julian, and uh, we appreciate it. Now, do we have time for, hey, yeah. let's, uh, you have a quick second What's question? What's the second question? Yeah. Do I have to be a prophet for God to, to communicate with me in that way? No. Uh, that's, that's actually a valid question. Uh, you know, there are people in the Bible, the Lord might communicate with you, with you in a direct way. It doesn't mean that you're a full-time prophet. An example would be when the Lord appeared to the parents of Samson, and he had a particular one-time message for him. I guess he met with him twice. And well, he met with a woman twice, the man once. Um, so, you know, the Lord may at any time at his discretion, you know, meet with someone one time, uh, but um, doesn't mean you're a full-time prophet. They were not prophets. All right. Thanks, Nicole. The next caller that we have is April listening in Florida. April, welcome to the program. Um, so my question is, um, I remember one night you were preaching. By the way, I like your backflips when you were um, preaching in Michigan. Oh, it's <laughs> been a while since I did one, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember one night you were talking about how you were um, preaching in church and you had mentioned that angels was around you, but there was probably demons around too, and that we that they didn't like what you were preaching. But we live in the second dimension, and they live in a third dimension, and so we can't see them. So my question is, do they conflict with each other and we just can't see it? Yes. Um, you do have that verse in Revelation chapter 12 where it says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. So here you've got good angels and bad angels at war. And I'm sure it not only happened there in heaven, but uh, when um, it, it, where there's a verse where it talks about Michael and the Prince of Persia in Daniel 10. What are, you're looking something up here. I was just looking up the verse you, met, you quoted in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, where it talks about war in heaven between Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels. And the dragon la- lost. Satan yeah. lost the war and he was thrown out of heaven. So they didn't leave willingly. There must have been some kind of actual pushing yeah. them out of heaven. Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him and delivers them. And 
then uh, the devil said, you've stationed a hedge about Job, that you are protecting Job with a hedge. We believe that's a hedge of angels. And so Satan's angels are trying to you know, overcome God's angels and break through, so to speak. So I do believe there are spiritual battles. Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against mm -hmm. principalities and powers and spiritual rulers of darkness in high places. That's Ephesians chapter six. So uh, I think if our eyes could be opened and the veil removed from, it's probably not the third dimension, it's the fourth or fifth. <laughs> uh, fifth dimension was a singing group too. That you would see angels battling um, and, you know, God is always sending angels to guard and protect us. Sometimes the evil angels are trying to get through. And the way I think that uh, they lose is by our prayers and the prayers and intercession of others. You know, we have a, a DVD pass that is actually a video now. It's available on YouTube. It's called Cosmic Conflict. And it really oh, kind yeah. of pulls back the veil. And you mm -hmm. can, it tells the story of this war in heaven and then how the devil came to the earth and tempted Adam and Eve. And yes, there is a real battle taking place around us. We can't see it, but it's real. Mm -hmm. Forces of good against the forces of evil. Um, thank you for your call, April. We've got uh, Devion listening from um, Charlotte, South Carolina. Devion, welcome. Hi. Um, I'm eight years old, and I just heard this word um from a movie that me and my father was watching, mm -hmm. and I just wanted to ask you it. Okay. Um, why did Jesus tell Mary that she couldn't hold on to him because he did not ascend to the Father yet? All right, good question. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, I believe. And it's after the resurrection. And um, uh, Peter and John have seen the empty tomb and they leave and Mary stays there. She's by herself now and she's crying. Christ appears to her. First she thinks he's the gardener. Then he says, Mary. And she recognizes him. She throws herself at his feet to grab his feet and to worship him. And he says, do not, if you look in the King James, it says, do not touch me. And that word is not the best translation. He says, do not cling to me or hold on to me because I've not yet ascended to my father. He's basically saying, look, I can't stay and visit with you right now. Mary used to love to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him teach the word. He said, I don't have time for that now. I must ascend to heaven. I've just risen from the dead. You're the first one I'm appearing to. I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to uh, present myself before the Father and hear that my sacrifice was successful in behalf of mankind. And he then came down again later that evening. He met with the disciples in the upper room. He also met with Peter that day. And it says that when they saw him, he said, all hail. Then they worshiped him. They talked to him. He said, touch my side, touch my hands. And he had no problem with them touching him. He just said to Mary, you can't, I can't stay. You can't cling to me now because I need to ascend. Yeah. You know, you look at the original word in the Greek passage, it carries the idea of, of holding back or, or clinging to someone. Mm -hmm. Jesus detaining. Said, detaining. My, my mission is not, is not complete yet. I need to go. Mm-hmm. Good question. Thank you for calling. We've got uh, Marquise listening from Indianapolis, Indiana. Marquise, welcome to the program. Good evening, Pastor Ross and Pastor Doug. Uh, my question comes from uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 through 13. Basically, I was just trying to see why did the Arthur use the strong wind, the earthquake, and the fire if the Lord wasn't in it? Yeah, this is when Elijah flees from Jezebel. He ends up at Mount Sinai. And uh, then God gives him this, this sign. He's kind of teaching him with a lesson. And it says that there's a, uh, a, an earthquake, then there's a fire, there's a powerful wind that can rent the rocks. 
and it says God was not in those things. That's very interesting because, you know, whenever there is a terrible fire or earthquake or a hurricane, we say it's an act of God. And God is telling us that, you know, I, I'm not always in those things. But then it says there's a still small voice. And what it's doing is in this story, God is contrasting these earth-shaking events. And he says, sometimes God speaks through a still small voice. God had been guiding Elijah for three and a half years. And everywhere God led him, he took care of him. He was by a brook. He stayed with a widow on Mount Carmel. God never told him through the Holy Spirit, that still small voice, to run to Mount Sinai. He never said run from Jezebel. And God has said, why are you here? I didn't tell you to come here. And so he was listening to the fear, uh, you know, the fire and the, and the wind and the earthquake. And God is saying, you know, I'll speak to you through the Holy Spirit. You don't need to look at the signs of the weather or some disaster to hear my voice. You know, Pastor Doug, just to add to that, I think sometimes we're, we're wanting a big sign. We're wanting something miraculous mm -hmm. just to help confirm that we're doing what God wants us to do. But here we find in the story, God is reminding us that he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. If we honestly are seeking to do his will through that still small voice, mm -hmm. through his word, mm -hmm. we don't always have to have a miracle of these big signs. We could just trust in the promise that God will lead us if we are willing to do his will. That's right. So, hey, thank you very much, Marquis. I appreciate your question. And um, we see so got a minute 46. I don't know if that may not be time for uh, another one. We're, we're coming back with more Bible questions in just a minute, friends, but we see the break is creeping up on us. And we want to remind you that um, Amazing Facts has an abundance of Bible study resources at our Mothership website. That's very simply amazingfacts.org. If you even Google Amazing Facts, you'll see there Amazing Facts Ministry, Amazing Facts International. And there you've got Bible studies. You can enter in the Bible study course. You can go to one of our many other websites. We've got the websites that deal with specific doctrines in great detail. Uh, we also have an Amazing Facts YouTube channel that has a, a library of sermons that is growing every week. And as well as um, our Facebook accounts. And uh, by the way, if someone has to wants to send us an internet question, Pastor Ross, what is the answer? Yeah, just simply questions at amazingfacts.org. Now, of course, we're not finished yet. We've got a, a whole half an hour of program still ahead. We're just taking our break. But you can post your question there at questions at amazingfacts.org. And we'll try to answer as many of those questions at the end of the program. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Does your heart burn for a better purpose? Do you yearn to do more with your faith? Do you desire to be a powerful witness, a blaze for Jesus Christ? Where do you start? Make your first step at AFCO, the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. Here at AFCO, I've learned so many things and my spiritual growth has just skyrocketed. AFCO has distilled 50 years of Amazing Facts evangelistic expertise into a dynamic, professional, and educational experience that transforms the nervous Christian into a prepared and bold witness. AFCO is really about learning while doing. It's a one-of-a-kind experience for those who are serious about entering gospel ministry and those who simply want to make an impact in their local churches and communities. Go to AFCO.org today and explore this life-changing program. AFCO, 
Equipping soul winners. Setting the world ablaze for God. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Through radio, television, print, evangelistic events, and the Internet, Amazing Facts International is heeding the call of Jesus to go into all the world. Millions of individuals in over 150 countries have been blessed by the Word of God. Amazing Facts has spawned new spheres of influence in India, Africa, China, and Indonesia. With each new country come hundreds of translated booklets, study guides, and video presentations produced in each region for the people of that region. Armed with these precious truths, gospel workers are empowered to spread bright rays of light on every path they travel. Please visit reachtheworld.amazingfacts.org to learn more about Amazing Facts International and how you can participate in this exciting soul-winning ministry. That website again is reachtheworld.amazingfacts.org. Thank you for your support. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. We're about to move into the last 28 minutes of Bible Answers. And if you'd like to call in with a question, it's 800-GOD-SAYS. That's 800-463-7297. We're also broadcasting, if you want to see the video, on AFTV. That's the Amazing Facts television channel, AFTV. And we want to thank our friends in Arizona for the Good News Network has begun broadcasting Amazing Facts, the video as well. And, of course, the radio broadcast around the country. I am Doug Batchelor. My name is Jean Ross. And we've got E. Frank that is listening from New York. E. Frank, welcome to the program. You're on the air. Yes. uh, Good uh, evening, uh, Pastor Doug and Pastor Ross. I would just like to ask uh, this question that's always been uh, on my mind for several uh, decades. Uh, Are there still uh, ways and methods where uh, there are individuals who are on earth uh, uh, that they are still conducting uh, miracles like uh, Jesus did at the time uh, period that he did as the Son of God because uh, I noticed uh, so many books that I and literary articles that indicate that uh, there are still people on earth who claim to do attributable acts of Christ so my question is are there individuals who are doing the same thing? Yeah. Uh, well, I do believe that there are miracles. I think miracles come as a result of answered prayer. You know, God, I believe the Lord has performed miracles. And when you say miracle, what do you mean? You mean something that is extraordinarily above and beyond and out of what would appear to be natural. And um, when you read about miracle healings, uh, I know people, Pastor Ross and I have prayed for people. We're not, we don't claim to have a healing ministry, 
that, you know, Bible says if you have certain serious illness, you might call for the pastors to come and pray and maybe even anoint with oil. And we've known people that had, uh, you know, serious cancer diagnosis that were healed and then no trace anymore. Sometimes the Lord performs those miracles um, through medical intervention. The kind of miracles you see in, uh, you know, the book of Exodus where the um, sea is parting and uh, the, or it's turning to blood and the hail and the fire. Um, I think you're going to see those again in the last days, according to Revelation. So miracles and the power and uh, influence of miracles seems to come in waves. But, uh, you know, Jesus said that he gave his disciples power um, to pray and to uh, perform certain miracles. And when the church is full of the Holy Spirit, uh, different times in history, we've seen some extraordinary things happen. Of course, the Bible does warn us at the same time. It says, beware of false prophets mm -hmm. that show signs and wonders. Don't be deceived. So you're going to have the genuine, especially in the last days, but there's also going to be a lot of counterfeit. And so how do you know the difference? Well, the Bible says, by their fruits, you shall know them. It seems, Pastor Doug, we've seen as an insurgence or just a just more and more people claiming to be able to do miracles and uh, y if you look at what they are teaching and you look at their lives you realize it's not really in harmony with the principles of the bible yeah so somebody's making merchandise or making money claiming to be able to heal others and unfortunately there's a lot of fraud and uh, people aren't really being healed yeah for every true prophet there's probably a hundred false ones yep that's according right. to mount carmel yeah there you go <laughs> so. all right great question thanks e frank we got bill listening in texas bill welcome to bible answers live Hi, I'm a repeat uh, caller, and here's my question. Since Adam lived 930 years, according to Genesis 5-5, and God warned Adam and Eve, for in the day you eat of the tree of knowledge's fruit, that you shall surely die, according to Genesis 2, 15-17, wasn't God telling them that they would eat from it, and die less than a thousand years, since with the Lord one day is a thousand years, according to Second Peter three eight. All right, yeah, good question. Um, you know, in the um, in the phrase where God says, "In the day you eat thereof, you will surely die," in the Hebrew it reads, "In dying you will die." In other words, a dying process would begin in the day that you eat thereof. They certainly did go through a spiritual death that day. Their, their garments of glory disappeared and they discovered their nakedness. And um, uh, there was shame. Uh, they could no longer eat from the tree of life and the absence of life means death. And uh, so in a sense, a death sentence began that day. But they, no man except Enoch, who was taken to heaven, uh, all the other people died within that first millennium or that first thousand years. So they did die in that first day. So in that sense, you're correct that um, a day being as a thousand years with the Lord, uh, Adam died 930 years and we doesn't give the day of uh, the lifespan of Eve, but we're assuming that she also died uh, mm -hmm. within that millennium. All Thank right. you, Bill. Thank you. We've got George listening from Maryland. George, welcome to the program. I've been having struggles with tithe uh, because I've been giving it and above and beyond. But as I got older and I got disabled, I have not been able to work because of my disability, both mental and physical. And because of that, I have not, not been able to give tithe. And 
on Social Security, I have been puzzled because I know what the scripture says about tithe, about the gross income that you, uh, you know, gather. I know about Methuselah. I, you know, I know uh, about uh, all that is taught about tithe, except when I've gotten uh, to the age now where I'm a senior uh, and I'm not working, I'm strictly living on Social Security, I have stopped giving tithes because of the fact is it's not income. Right. It's simply money given from the federal government through Social Security through well, the U.S. Treasury. Let me, and let's... I've had struggles with that for the hardest time, and I felt bad, and I felt like well, let's talk God about has it. left me. He just left me. Okay. Go on. Well, let's you talk know? about that, George. Yeah. Um, when, keep in mind now when a person pays Social Security— uh, if you're receiving Social Security, I, I just saw this week that, uh, you know, if and when I retire, what my Social Security income will be, and it won't be that much. <laughs> uh, but if when you're working, I paid into it. So I've already, you know, if I'm paying tithe, the years I'm getting a check and they're deducting Social Security, you're basically paying into that. And um, uh, if you're paying tithe on it when you first get your paycheck and you're paying on the gross, then... In a sense, you have paid tithe on the Social Security at that point. So it depends on what you did in those years when you were receiving your paycheck. If you never paid tithe on your Social Security, Social Security is you know just like an expense like anything else. You pay into a fund, you get it back when you retire. Um, well, then you you technically would owe it. But um, you know I, I don't believe God wants you to be destitute. But He says test Him, and He says see if He doesn't open for you the windows of heaven. So I'd say, you know, be faithful as you can and do what you can. God never asks us to do what we can't do, but he wants us to have faith and obey his word. So you'd have to answer the question, George, about what happened during the years when you were working and you were earning a check. Were you paying tithe on those um, um, deductions? We do have a study guide talking about the yeah. subject. It's called In God We Trust. And you might have some further questions about that. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the Amazing Facts study guide. It's called In God We Trust. And it's just jam-packed with scripture, some wonderful principles. And mm -hmm. you'll be blessed by reading that. Next caller that we have is Kenny listening from South Carolina. Kenny, welcome to the program. How are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for um, calling. This falls in chapter 21 of Revelations and also Galatians 4.26, mm -hmm. the bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, I become a Sabbath keeper back in 2004, um, and God has opened my eyes to the, to the Word of God. And some of the things that I see, I try to explain to people what He has put on me. And they, I don't know if they try to confuse me or try to get me to pull back from that, but I'm like, the truth of it that I'm feeling in my spirit, I can't let go of it, where the bride of Christ in Revelations 21, it talks about where John uh, was, uh, chapter 21, verse 2, mm -hmm. and I, John, saw the holy city come down from heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In Galatians, it talks about uh, New Jerusalem is the mother of us all, free mm -hmm. and bond and mother of us all. Right. So if you, um, 
You look at the spiritual analogy there in Ephesians. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So the analogy of the church, and we are the church, you know, the Bible says we're living stones in this temple. Um, being the bride of Christ, you find actually New and Old Testament. When the church was being unfaithful, God said that his bride, his wife was playing a harlot. And he uses the analogy of marriage many times. So, yeah, so there's no question. It uses the picture of the New Jerusalem where the church is going to live. It's really talking about the church. Not the, It's not the buildings are the bride of Christ. It means the people that live in that New Jerusalem are his bride. And, you know, if you're finding the Bible that in the Old Testament, you've got two cities. You've got Babylon, representing those who are opposed to the truth and opposed to God, a persecuting power. Then you have Jerusalem, which represents God's mm -hmm. people. So in Revelation chapter 21, where it's talking about the Lamb's wife, and then it describes the New Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem is a symbol of God's people. It's the home of the redeemed. Mm -hmm. And it's the kingdom, the capital of the kingdom that Christ receives. So, you know, Jesus isn't interested in a building per se, even if it's made with gold. I mean, there's, there's nothing God cannot do. But he is interested in people. He wants to save people. So when the New Jerusalem is populated with the redeemed, that's the bride of Christ. Amen. All right. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. We've got uh, Della, who is listening from California. Della, welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my question is, what does the Bible teach to us about women serving in the ministry? Can women be deaconesses and elders and pastors? Well, you, you mentioned a few different offices there. First, let's establish that God gives spiritual gifts to everybody that he wants us to use in ministry. Now, ministry is kind of a comprehensive term that means in serving the Lord, in ministering. Um, the roles, uh, and the word deacon, it means servant. And so you've got men and women that serve as deacons. And I think there's an example of deaconess or a female deacon in the Bible. You do not see an example in the Bible of a woman serving in the capacity of a priest, apostle, or pastor. And, uh, you know, pastor and elder were interchangeable. They call them bishop, pastor, elder. It, meant, it just meant the shepherd of the church. The, that was uh, typically, it, it's a male role. And the, you know, the Bible tells us that husbands are to be the servant leaders protecting their families. And the church is really a family, so it's an extension of that same arrangement. Through the Bible, it was always the patriarch, the father that offered sacrifice. You have no example of a woman offering sacrifice in the Bible. So we stick with the word, and we believe that, yes, you know, women can serve in teaching the word, in doing evangelism, in doing Bible studies, in all kinds of ministry. Uh, a lot of the greatest missionaries were women. I just got done reading about Amy Carmichael, and uh, just so many others that uh, went to the mission field and established a great work and did a great um, ministry. But you do not see women serving in those three capacities of um, you know, priest. Um, we do have women prophets. I was going to mention that. Actually, if you look at the, the lineup of the spiritual gifts, you've got pastors and evangelists. But right at the top of the list, you've got apostles and you've got prophets. And we have examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament of mm -hmm. woman prophets. Uh, doing a very important work. We even have an example of a woman participating in the judging. I mean, Israel was still governed by judges, and she would come, and, but she was also a prophet. So um, there are some very significant roles for women, especially in ministry, and even in the church today, some important roles 
that women have. But like you say, Pastor Doug, if we're going to follow the biblical guidelines that's given. Another one is if you look at the guidelines given in Scripture for an elder or a bishop or a pastor in the church, one of the characteristics, he needs to be a good husband and provide for his family. Mm -hmm. And he needs to have a good reputation in the community. So, I mean, just the principles that's given makes it pretty clear that there is a distinction in ministry husband of one roles. wife. Yeah, that's right. It's hard right. for a woman to be a husband of one wife. That's right. <laughs> Unless you're in California. Yeah. <laughs> so Be careful now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've got to be careful what I say. <laughs> you know, we do have a book. It's called God's Role for Women in Ministry, and we'll be happy to send this out to anyone who calls and asks. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the book. It's called God's Role for Women in Ministry. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your call. Good question. We've got, uh, let's see, Darlene. Darlene is listening in North Carolina. Darlene, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Um, I just have a very puzzling question I'd like to ask Pastor Doug. Um, here on earth, you know, we get tempted or influenced with things like jealousy, pride, and greed. And we know that that comes from Satan, and we can pray through it, and God will give us help. Mm -hmm. But my question is, when... Lucifer was in heaven, and he was created perfect, and he was in a perfect environment. Who influenced him before the before there was a Satan to, uh, you know, try to to be jealous of God and want to be like him and prideful? Right. Yeah. So we often, if we're doing something selfish, we say, "Well, the devil tempted me." So who tempted the devil? Who who? What was the source of that first temptation? Yeah, the Bible speaks, and uh, Pastor Ross will know the reference, but the Bible speaks of the mystery of iniquity. Uh, there are mystery, two mysteries in the Bible. You've got the mystery of godliness, and you've got the mystery of iniquity. And um, it's a mystery why Lucifer began to think selfish, proud thoughts. But it germinated in his own heart. And, uh, you know, everyone says, well, I caught the cold from this person. Well, where'd the first person catch the first cold from? Mm -hmm. You know, you could, those kind of mysteries, you could keep asking. Um, so, uh, Lucifer, of his own volition, he saw Jesus receiving the adoration of the angels, and he had the thought within himself, why am I not God? Why don't I have that power? Why don't I get that worship? And instead of rejecting that thought, as he should have, he embraced it, and he kept nurturing that thought until it festered and it grew in his own mind until he just became con consumed with selfishness instead of love. So he really drowned the, the love of God in his own heart. Talking about the mystery of iniquity, Pastor Dag, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. There is you the go. verse that Thank talks you. about that. And we have a, I just wanted to mention to uh, Darlene, we do have a, a, a video. You can probably watch it free online. You can order it from Amazing Facts. It's called Cosmic Conflict. Tell us about the fall of Lucifer and how that all began. Thank you for your call. We've got uh, Robert listening in uh, Washington. Robert, welcome to the program. Good evening, Pastor Ross and Pastor Doug. Uh, regarding 1 Corinthians 15, 29, uh, it seems like uh, Paul is encouraging um, the believers to, to be baptized to the dead by, by, the, by the wording of 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Yes. Uh, no, Paul is not encouraging being baptized for the dead because that. W I'm just saying, yes, I understand what you're saying. Uh, that would be um, really anathema to everything else the Bible teaches. The Bible says that uh, it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. It's not after you die, then you get baptized, or someone gets baptized in your behalf. Uh, it says the righteousness of the righteous 
will be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked. Each man pays for his own sin and is rewarded for his own good works. We're not saved by good works, but the Bible says we're rewarded according to our works. So the idea that you could get baptized for someone else that's been dead and buried and long gone, Bible definitely does not teach that. What does this verse mean? Let me read it to our friends who are listening. This is a place where if the punctuation is not in the right spot, it gets you confused. There was no punctuation in the Greek when Paul wrote this. That was added by translators later. Sometimes they got it right. Sometimes they got it wrong. This is a place where I think they got it very wrong, and it's caused some confusion. Here's the verse. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? All right, that's the verse. Now, the way I read it, it sounds like, why are they baptized for the dead? if the dead don't rise at all. Now let's read it with the appropriate punctuation. I'll try and put the right emphasis on the right syllables here. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized? Comma. For the dead, if the dead rise not at all, why then are they baptized? Comma. For the dead? Question mark. Paul is saying, those who are baptized, why are they getting baptized? Period. For if the dead don't rise at all, why then are they being baptized? And he asks a rhetorical question. Are they being baptized for the dead? He's actually saying you shouldn't be baptized for the dead. He's saying if you don't believe in baptism, why are you even doing it? Well, even more important, I think he's emphasizing if you don't believe in the resurrection, that's really the context of the whole yeah, chapter. And exactly. he says, you know, if, if somebody's baptized, and of course they were at the time, they were uh, a group of people known as the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection mm -hmm. from the dead. You've got the Pharisees, they did believe in the resurrection, but the Sadducees and a large group, they said, this is it, when you die, it's the end. Paul's saying, well, if there's no resurrection, then what's the point of being baptized? Mm -hmm. You know, what about all of those who have died and were baptized? What's going to happen to them? So I think that's the point that he's trying to emphasize. Exactly. Hope that helps a little bit, and we thank you for your, for your question, Brian, uh, Robert. Yeah. We have Joan listening from Anchorage, Alaska. Joan, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, and uh, good evening, pastors. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a problem uh, concerning the star that led the wise men to where Jesus was born, and that the star first led them to Jerusalem, where Herod was there, that wanted to kill Jesus. Mm -hmm. And yet, when they got there to Jesus, and, and, and uh, they had a dream... And the dream told them to go another way home. Why didn't that star then bring them to the way that they were going home another way instead of taking that right straight to Herod? It almost seems to me like Satan was shoving that star over to Jerusalem. Okay, I think I, yeah, I, th I, think I understand what you're asking. Uh, why did the star not lead him just right to the house the first time? Uh, well, first of all, when you know when a star is in the sky, it's kind of hard maybe to tell exactly where you are when you're right under it. And uh, they were led. I think one reason God led them into Jerusalem. You notice it says that all Jerusalem was astir when they said, "Where is he born of the King of the Jews?" I think the Lord wanted that to happen. The Lord did not want Herod to do what he did to the babies in Bethlehem. The Lord wanted Jerusalem to know that Gentiles were coming looking for the birth of the Messiah, why weren't God's people looking for the birth of the Messiah? And so that question was supposed to rouse them to say, yes, help us find him. But the, the people didn't follow the wise men to Bethlehem. They didn't believe. Just some shepherds, 
and some foreign wise men. Why didn't that star guide them back the other way? Well, the star was to guide them to the destination to Christ, which it did. And at that point, the sign disappeared. They knew how to get home. They were just told to take a southern route instead of a northern route. And so they didn't need a star. It was just to avoid detection. You know, what's interesting about that story, Pastor, you've got Herod going to the scribes, and he asked them, well, where is the Messiah or the king supposed to be born? And they're the ones that say he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And the only ones who actually go to Bethlehem to find the Christ are the wise men. And the soldiers. And the soldiers that eventually came. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But why didn't, why didn't the scribes go? You know, yeah. Why didn't the religious leaders go? Why didn't all of Jerusalem go? They had an opportunity. I think that's the point. God gave his people, the Jews, an opportunity mm -hmm. to welcome the Redeemer. Great point. And yeah. yet they, they rejected that. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. They missed it. All right. Thanks for your call. Great question. We've got, let's see, Tom from, uh, Tom from West Virginia. That's WV, isn't it? Yep. All right, we Tom, got one to minute, Tom. Can we do it? Oh, we probably can. Uh, I'm looking at Revelation 14, verse 11. Mm -hmm. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. I was wondering about, uh, in the context of the Lord always covering himself in smoke, like when he was leading the Hebrews through the wilderness, mm -hmm when he filled the temple with smoke when Solomon dedicated it. And uh, also in uh, Revelation uh, 15, at the, the last verse, it mentions the temple was filled with smoke. Uh, wanted to ask you guys what you think about, because I don't know the Hebrew or the Greek rendering, rather. All right. I, I don't think the smoke it's talking about in Revelation 14 is talking about the smoke of God's Shekinah glory as it went up from Mount Sinai. I believe there it's talking more about the smoke that went up from Sodom. It says when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, it was like the smoke of a furnace. That is a fire of destruction. Uh, instead of it being the fire or smoke of God's glory that you might see in um, there at the end of Revelation. But uh, hopefully that helps a little bit. And, uh, you know, if we didn't give you a, a complete answer, please call back and give us another chance, Robert. Listening friends, we're so thankful that you've tuned in to Bible Answers Live this evening. Do not go very far away. Uh, we're going to be signing off in just a moment from our, um, our satellite radio listeners, but we're going to stay and do some rapid-fire Bible questions. We're going to see how many Bible questions we can get through in about two minutes. And I want to remind everyone that's listening that uh, you can be listening to Bible Answers Live all the time uh, just by going to the website, you can watch Amazing Facts programming 24 hours a day. If you have a Roku, uh, we're on channel there and also on Amazing Facts TV via the Internet. And so we hope that you'll continue to listen to, watch, stay uh, connected with and pray for the ministry. God bless. And we'll be back in a moment. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Bible Answers Live. We have about two minutes left in the program, and we've got a number of Bible questions that have been emailed in. And so, Pastor Doug, we're going to try and cover as many of these questions as we can. So here's question number one. Are Christians supposed to follow the Mosaic Law? Well, when you say the Mosaic Law, you if you're including the Ten Commandments, certainly we're supposed to keep the Ten Commandments. If you're talking about the ceremonial laws related to the sanctuary, its services, sacrificing lambs, circumcision, 
those things are all nailed to the cross. They were fulfilled in Christ. There are good practical social laws and health laws that are still applicable today. That, as a matter of fact, many countries, their laws are based on the laws of Moses. But uh, ceremonial ordinances, no. Okay, question number two. It says, how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us that the way that you know if a tree is, uh, what the type of a tree is, is by the fruit. And you read in Galatians chapter 5 that it is by the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew, uh, I believe it's chapter 5, you'll know them by their fruits. And so look at the fruits in the life. Okay, question number three. We've got Matthew and Mark both speak about Jesus saying that this generation will not pass away until he returns. What does this mean? Well, they're asking him three questions in Mark 13 and Matthew 24. They're asking, when will these things be, meaning the destruction of Jerusalem, where there's not one stone left upon another? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the world? Jesus is explaining that the destruction of Jerusalem, this generation, a Bible generation is 40 years, would not pass away until those things were fulfilled. He made that statement in approximately 30 AD. In 70 AD, 40 years later, the temple was destroyed. And that, that those prophecies were fulfilled. Okay, another question we have, it says, is probation closed yet for the world? Well, let's hope not. Once probation closes, that means that the lost can no longer be saved. But there's nothing that I've seen or read that's led me to believe we should cease proclaiming the good news. Uh, when the seven last plagues begin to fall and the waters and oceans turn to blood, that'll probably mean probation is closed. That hasn't happened yet. All right, last question that we have, Pastor Degg, in our last 30 seconds. Um, what about using unclean animals not to eat but for medicinal uses? Is that okay? And I'm thinking, for example, a pig's heart. Or not a heart but a valve. A valve, yeah. You know, uh, sometimes there are, there's hardware in some animals that used to save people's lives, and that's a very interesting question. Uh, I would probably want that as preferred to dying. That would be healthier. <laughs> God bless, friends. We've enjoyed our time together, and look forward to your tuning in next week. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.